Hello, Fight fans, and welcome to the Hollywood Brunettes Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Matt, the store brand Keanu. Alongside me is my tag team partner, the Danimal. How's it going, Matty? All right, back in better than ever, Danimal. Here we go. AEW Grand Slam, and then just coming off another fantastic episode of Dynamite. Thoughts, feelings, concerns? Uh... I think feeling one is just overwhelmed. It's just, it's been so spectacular. It's, it's really, as we were talking about before we got on, you just keep waiting for kind of the stale, like rematch or the, Oh boy, they're still dragging this out. I mean, I think we had a touch of it with the, the Jericho MJF stuff, which they've now completely gotten rid of brand new storylines for everyone. And yeah, I got to say that the fact that they continue this model of the limited pay-per-view is, I think, what makes it so great. And that, you know, just in the last three nights or three televised episodes, we've had Daniel Bryan, Kenny Omega. We had CM Punk back in the ring. We had Jungle Boy and Adam Cole. Like, that's just three consecutive nights of, you know, free for lack of a better wrestling term television. And that's absolutely mind-blowing to me. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it really is one of those things like, I, you know, I'm a pretty negative guy when it comes to most things, especially when I'm on a streak of really enjoying something. And every time I tune in, I'm expecting to be disappointed. And every time it just seems the bar gets raised higher and higher. Um, and I think with those matches in particular that you mentioned, um, it's really impressive how they've managed in AEW to really embrace the fact that you can have two faces square off and still tell a compelling story in wrestling i mean despite the fact that he's trying so desperately or i should say in a couple of cases adam cole and kenny omega of really trying to be these mega heels it just isn't happening i mean they're just too good in the ring and the fact that you could take like an adam cole who's even new to the company so you would assume that he would just get some natural hate by virtue of that, but no, it's he's been embraced fully and pairing him off with Jungle Boy, who's arguably a top five talent. Uh, it's it's damn impressive to say the least. Yeah, and I just guess to continue on that thread, I, I love how they're already playing into it too, in that they protect the jungle boy with the the low blow. It's just enough to remind us that even though everyone loves Adam Cole, they love the music, they love the Adam Cole Bay Bay. He's still, you know, he's still a cheater. He's still had to kick Jungle Boy in the balls. So, you know, they're doing just a really good job of kind of maintaining, you know, what these guys are supposed to do as characters, just so that you do get the frustration where, you know, you got Daniel Bryan ready to wrestle Kenny and Kenny no balls, which, man, I, I wonder if he, yeah, he must have signed off on that, but it's just got to be so great for Daniel Bryan to know that, like, this is going to get yelled by thousands of people for months to come. And yeah, I, I think it's just been really satisfying. And that, that match between Kenny and Daniel, I never thought that I would have felt like the time limit was a good thing because they always announce it, but never use it. But it's such a great thing to have in place so that, you know, this is honestly the first time I think I remember it and they've been doing it for, you know, the entire time. So I think saving it in your back pocket for that long just continues to be the like, nope, we can tell a great story. And we don't have to do the schmozzy DQ. And it also wasn't the really cheesy Daniel Bryan gets the the running knee and this the ref's about to count three. It you know goes to no finish. It was like, no, just the match ended. That was that. Yeah, that match, uh, I'm not gonna lie. Like I got 
chill so I get the build up for it. Particularly little details. Like I, I think one of the announcing crew even pointed it out, but the fact that Don Callis actually stayed on the floor for the entirety of it to really just convey that like, no, this, this shit's serious. And just the way it built and they took their time even engaging in the beginning, like it felt like a real fight. And it was really impressive how they were, they put on a compelling match. It could easily be a pay-per-view, you know, type of match. And at the same time, seemingly we're holding back just enough to when they ever do face one another, more than likely in a pay-per-view, uh, there's a next level that was yet to be even be seen. I mean, which is un- amazing to think of. Um yeah, just incredibly paced, just super into it, like throughout. I really, really, I mentioned this to you before we started recording, but I really like that up until this point, like Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan, whatever you want to call him, hasn't really fully embraced the yes chance that the crowd are giving him. I think that's a great way to just kind of have some of that separation. He still is acknowledging it. And I think eventually you might see it be, come into play, but it is kind of cool that it's like, no, the focus seem seemingly is entirely on in-ring action. And uh, what better way to start off with Kenny Omega? Jeez. Yeah. That's the ultimate, like you're, you're getting the rocket strapped to your back and going to the top because they know he's good enough. And I, I also got to say that he, uh, for a guy that's so renowned for his mat work, he can cut a hell of a promo. Like, you know, I guess I'll keep going back to it because it's so fun to say, but I mean, everything, including the Kenny Nobles in that promo, like he was bringing the fire the whole time. So it's, I, I just can't wait to see what's going to go on with him. I think, you know, it's another case of the, the stable being such a great thing to have because now we've got what five great Daniel Bryan matches all or Brian Danielson. Got to, got to break that respect the man. But uh, yeah, we've got him against the Bucks. We got him against the Good Brothers, like all these matches where he gets to kind of do a little something. He's got his own like quasi stable where it's just, you know, the typical all the good guys coming together, which I kind of like. It's got that old school feel where it's like you don't have to be a faction with a name. It's just like, you know, the typical like, you know, it's almost like the Avengers, except without the name. It's just like we all want to stop these guys. So, yeah, Frankie Kazarian, get down here like. So no, I think I think they've got a lot of options so that it doesn't feel it doesn't feel stale. I think too, like the big thing with AEW, like clearly the crowd is educated on wrestling, to say the mm-hmm. least. Very least. Um, you know, they borderline I, I always joke that like you pretty much have to be a wrestling nerd in order to enjoy what's going on. I mean, you kind of have to almost be a wrestling savant to even understand what's going on half the time. But um they really have taken these WWE guys and thrown them right into the fire to really just showcase everything they're bringing to the program rather than just relying on their past experience and what they've accomplished. I have a, you know, I always refer to as my tinfoil hat theory. I actually don't think that Brian Danielson's going to be in AEW for a very long time. Um, I think his intention is to come in and give you know five-star matches through and through but i actually think that like that letter he he made in the athletic recently which was a big kind of love letter to wwe as he stepped away i think ultimately his intention will be to retire with them because i think that he's earned the right to be a wwe hall of famer and 
that's something that you take on the other side. CM Punk has pretty much kicked that whole thing to the curb. Like that's never a possibility unless he seriously has to kiss some ass. And I, I don't think he's going to do that. So yeah, they literally have to reopen the kiss my ass club. Yeah. Like totally. Like, I mean, it was already shocking enough that they managed to get Bret Hart in, but I, I think that punk's the type that he's, he's going to go to his grave, just refusing that honor. But Danielson, I, I think, is on the other side of it. I mean, just by virtue of his wife and everything, like he's going to be in that circle in some capacities. I think that he wants to utilize what he has left of his prime. Um, and like I said, give it his all versus what he would be doing if he was staying in WWE, which is a lot of stupid promo work and probably a lot of like backstage skits, which, you know, isn't his thing. So um, that that's a little side tangent there, but I think it works beautifully for what it is because there was a lot of talk that, you know, he debuted a bit earlier because there was concerns that there was a possibility that COVID may force some of these arenas to close um, and prevent the live show. So they really wanted to get him out in front. And, you know, again, he hit the ground running and delivered just a fantastic match. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Um, all right, so I want to I'm going to jump to something else a little less spectacular, and I don't want to go on it for too long. But the uh, the Eddie Kingston John Moxley match, what'd you think? I guess first we'll go to the promo because we got to get it on air about Kingston uh, really getting emotional and fired up. When he tried to rip his shirt and failed miserably and still continued the promo. I give him kudos for that. He didn't get completely derailed, but it was pretty embarrassing when you're talking about fighting one of the most hardcore human beings who's ever existed out of Japanese wrestling. You can't even tear your shirt open. I was loving it because it just it continued my thing about him being that that buddy, your buddy's buddy who comes to the bar with you. And he's totally the guy that, yeah, it's like he's He's out there and he's taking the the seven diamonds button up off and he's yeah really getting angry and he's showing everyone. But yeah, like you said, and I think everyone's had a moment where you realize that Hulk Hogan had those shirts pre-cut. And it, there's a reason for that because when you don't, if you even start to tear it, it just kind of wants to go sideways on you. So that, yeah, that was that was high praise. But I'm with you because I definitely feel like if it was me, I I would have in the midst of it been like, oh, I've really got to like get a hold of this thing. And no, he just kept running. So what what do you think of that match? Just being kind of an interesting little. Uh, I, I thought it was interesting that that was like the last match of the night. Yeah, it was a weird one. Um, it's that I've always been a bit critical anytime they bring in like wrestlers from outside organizations. And, and I'm old, so I always associate the last match of the night like as the main event, even though seemingly now it's it's whatever kicks off the show is actually the like biggest match of the night. But so, yeah, it weirds me out when you take somebody who nobody's or your casual fan is unfamiliar with and kind of features them in a way where it's like now you're supposed to give a shit, you know, so always throws me for a loop there. I've always been kind of negative on the hardcore stuff when it's involving like tinfoil trash cans and lids and kendo sticks, just because we all know that doesn't hurt for shit. So, yeah, so. I was I was especially amused that there was a, well, a couple of things. One, the machine gun chops were just so funny to me. 
because it's like you can tell that it's the struggle to like because a good chop you really have to like put something into and when you're trying to do it fast it just comes across as like ralphie and a christmas story just like raining fists down <laughs> like you're not really sure what you're doing you're just trying to create some contact and then yeah when uh when moxley's hands were taped and then at the end another thing with uh whatever homicide who fuck all if i knew who that was he comes out and as they show him cutting the tape you see moxley just sliding his hand out of it because they didn't have it on tight enough so yeah, that was a, uh, and then, yeah, the, the kendo stick on the metal trash can. This was just a case of, and I, it's rare that we give the shout out, but I think this was where a little of the AEW and experience showed because they were showing the angle where you can see into the trash can. So you see Archer and you see that he's like away from it and that these impacts are nowhere near him. Whereas if you flip it, it at least has the illusion that, you know, he's in there just getting pummeled, but instead you kind of got the, the other shot. So I did, I, I thought that was a little bit of one of those things where, you know, we're quick to praise AEW and not WWE, but I think sometimes knowing what camera is going to show what little bit of a sleight of hand is a big deal. Yeah, that's actually an excellent point. Cause I picked up on that as well. And I think, yeah, it's probably partially inexperienced and part partially trying to do something different in each instance. And this is an area where I think it, it may have made more sense to harken back to the old uh, classic WWE hardcore era where a table is kind of the signifier of the end of the match. Like all that other stuff is fine and dandy. And, and you know, I'm glad Eddie got a win because he kind of is like one of the most elevated jobbers seemingly in AEW to me. And has gained a lot of traction just by tagging along with Moxley for whatever reason. But I, I really think that like, if you're taking out a guy like Lance Archer, like throwing him through like a couple of tables or something along those lines makes more sense than just wrapping him up. And obviously a tinfoil trash can beating him with a kendo stick that explodes after two blows. So. Yeah, all right. That was that was one I had to get to because I, I thought it was some great levity. Um, next bit of levity I, I just want to bring up is Jericho. He's continuing to put on weight, but it it's the strangest thing because it almost makes me more impressed by him. Like he went for a lion salt last night, I think it was, and he was gonna kind of come up short. And he managed to get his hands out and do kind of like a back handspring into it. And it was just the ultimate, like, holy shit, that was an impressive adjustment on the fly. But then, yeah, dude's just, he's, he's getting big. Like climbing up for the double axe handle, which is another hilarious move that's really raised up in his repertoire. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, once he tried to cut that promo with Dan Lambert, like, I, I get, you know, trying to show that he can rally the crowd behind him, but when he was doing the fat face dipshit song and it's like, he's got his gut hanging out over his belt, which by the way, we're allowed to shame him because it is a sport where your physical prowess is a huge factor. It's like something about having your gut hanging out like that and calling somebody else fat faced or you're just like, yeah, it, it didn't work. I, I really, to be perfectly honest with you, Danimal, I really kind of had hoped that MJF had retired him because I think Jericho is would have been perfect just transitioning to being a full-time announcer. 
um, and not having to keep up with the rigors of in-ring competition. And this is a feud now with the men of the year that I, again, it's like, you're kind of overmatched, man. Like, I don't really know that I can handle seeing you put one over just to bury some really promising, talented young guys who have done the work. Like, Yeah, no, I'm with you. And especially there's one of those things where it's like, you're, you're choosing to go up against two of the most physically impressive guys in the company. Like, AEW clearly values, you know, the straight up in-ring ability because even like Brian Danielson, Kenny Omega, even Adam Cole, these guys are in phenomenal shape, but they're not like the the WWE, you know, Finn Balor six pack that is just like awe-inspiring. But then they found two of those guys and decided to put them directly across the ring from Jericho. And yeah, give us the, oh no, the Wiley veteran can win out here over these insanely fit uh, young men. That's a great point too. Um, actually, like Adam Cole, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I haven't seen much of him in ring. So seeing his debut and all was really like my first like true experience with him. And despite the fact he clearly has the command of the crowd, uh, the second I saw him in his in ring attire was 100%. I realized exactly why WWE let him go. And it's just because of their old bias. Like they, Vince likes the classic powerhouse and it's worked for him for years. You know, every now and then you, you're right. You sneak in a Finn Balor, but you literally need to be cut from granite. In I was order to say, make- Finn is one of the most intimidating men to look at I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. So it was like Adam Cole, despite what amazing things he does in the ring. It was like the second I saw it, it's like, oh, his legs are kind of tiny for a, supposedly like fast moving like high flower air guy and it's not a lot of definition oh <laughs> but that's the old wwe bias and, and you know i think that there's something to be said for AEW where it's like that shouldn't matter if you're you know doing amazing things i mean hell look at the young bucks like they don't look nearly as cut as you know a finn balor but i'll be damned to say one negative thing about what they do Oh, yeah. Well, it's just that, that it's like, you know, it's, it's proof that you can be a phenomenal athlete and not have the six pack in the fucking, you know, V shape upper body. So, yeah, all that being said, the Jericho's pushing it a little far. He is. And, you know, I, I not kind of remaining hopeful that now that Sammy attained the, the TV belt, that um, maybe there's going to be some separation from that inner circle group and will actually kind of see a bit more featured of of his stable mates rather than for whatever reason jericho always in in ring action well that was a great transition uh what what do you think about uh sammy taking the belt off uh our boy miro i think it was great all around uh if anybody's gonna beat miro it's got to be somebody of a comparable star power and sammy has been held back seemingly um wisely just because he's so young and the sky's the limit there. Um, you know, Miro could easily held that belt forever and you're starting to play too much with the Goldberg kind of comparison then, which I don't think AEW is ever going to allow anybody to really truly be that. So um, yeah, I, I'm totally fine with it. I like that it also kind of built up to it with the supposed the weakness in his neck and, and some hard fought matches with like Eddie Kingston and 
even to a lesser extent with Fuego, um, just kind of seemingly wearing him down so that when he finally faced Sammy, who's a top-notch contender, it, it just finally broke. Um, and, you know, he'll probably get some time off, come back with some absolutely hilarious, amazing promos, which he always delivers. And, uh, yeah, it, it, only good can come from it. We'll just say that. No, I think I think you're 100% right. I think when you have someone as physically impressive as Miro in comparison, especially the rest of the roster, you do kind of need to, over time, like they did, you know, give a reason that he kind of gets beaten down. Um, I thought especially since, you know, they were doing the big uh, Brody Lee tribute, it was, it was a great way since that belt's kind of synonymous with him now um, to really pop the crowd. You know, it's a show that you want to go out on a high note. Um, so yeah, I think having Sammy who, yeah, is just full on, you know, face, face of the future. Um, and yeah, holy shit, that was an impressive match all around. Those guys were, they were really getting after it. Um, and it makes me wonder, I, I still am wondering if we're going to see, uh, Miss CJ Perry, formerly known as Lana coming in at some point, cause she's, she's been free and, you know, Miro has not been shy about mentioning his wife in a variety of amazingly funny uh, promos. So I can only, I can only wonder what kind of uh, work they could do as a couple again. So no, I, I was, I was very pleased with that. Um, seeing that that was kind of how they took it off of him and it wasn't anything too, too goofy or too, too much stick since, you know, they brought up the turnbuckle, but even then that wasn't the, you know, typical deal where it's like, Oh, somehow he can survive, you know, 80 moves, but hits his head once on a turnbuckle and it's knocked unconscious. So. No, I thought I thought that was a, a good match all around. You brought up an excellent point too with the Brody Lee um, tribute through the belt, but also in a way where it's not exploiting the the anniversary of you know or the tribute I should say of him the show in his hometown um, because they could have very easily milked that like that would that's a classic McMahon move would have been to have the dark order involved and it would have been one of them appear. Hell, I mean, all the rumors you saw online of, you know, Bray Wyatt appearing or whatever the hell of name he's going to go by and whenever he picks a faction to join, um, you know, showing up and, you know, bringing some dark energy in that way. Like, no, I, I thought the way they, they paid tribute was absolutely amazing. I actually got kind of emotional, admittedly, <laughs> during the Dark Order match just because it, the way it was handled was so, like, subtle. And it's in an industry, like I said, where I'm so used to having this shit beaten over your head, like, you're supposed to care. Make this trend on Twitter, you know? It's like, no, this was 100% just pure love of it that conveys, you know, how much an individual means, but also not focusing tons of attention and folk on it you know yeah no i'm with you i mean the fact that they had brody's family involved but in like a just the right amount where it kind of they came out and it was just like the sheer like them being there kind of like gave everyone the like some shit's bigger than our wrestling bullshit as opposed to yeah like you said you know I, I, you would worry that like you know negative one would be about to get like thrown through a table and then all of a sudden like you know in the moment of peril they would reunite but instead yeah they they took a higher road with it you know they had the great moment with him in the ring on number 10 shoulders and yeah it was it was the proper amount and that you know obviously the the full tribute show they did was you know spectacular when it happened but yeah i think this was a good way of giving it the proper amount without milking it because yeah you could have just decided to do that as your main event 
which would have been the you know the token oh here comes the real tearjerker moment so no i thought i thought it was very well executed i mean with that's the whole thing like that i give tony khan an immense amount of credit for where even though he's seemingly playing with unlimited funds like i was reading speculation online of people saying like you were actually going to see rowan um who's the big hoss that got fired from WWE recently, uh, who spent a short time with Bray Wyatt. Um, oh, uh, Braun Strowman? Braun Strowman, yeah. A re- having all of them reunite for one night only to pay tribute, which would have been absolutely ridiculous and shit all over everything, you know? Yeah, like, but that's would have been a- more of flex and trying to get the names. Like, oh, look at this. They're all together in the same ring game, but it's like, well, that wasn't, you know, that's not really what this is about. That's a that's a ratings pop and you know, Twitter mentions. Yeah, exactly. But and again, we're we're just so kind of accustomed to that in certain ways that it was super refreshing to see it exactly how you said, where it's like the family's utilized, but only in the slightest degree where you know, a you have to kind of know what happened to give a shit, but also it doesn't disrupt the story. It doesn't do anything. JR, you know, I, we make fun of him for being like that goofy uncle at the dinner table that in any moment could just slip and get totally, you know, on PC. But at the same time, in moments like that, he just knows how to put it over and really add the significance to it. Like I say, it touched me. I thought it was a perfect tribute. Very perfectly executed. Nice. What else has been popping out to you over these last couple of weeks? Uh, you know, I like the, uh, obviously we're always going to mention our, our favorite Dr. Britt Baker, you know, another phenomenal match with Ruby Soho. Um, I think that that was awesome for a couple of reasons, just in the regard that it's kind of a neat little recruiting tool, I think. Whereas like, despite the fact that Ruby's still new to AEW, they really are elevating her to kind of encourage, you know, some of these lesser utilized women wrestlers around, you know, the country and slash the world now that it's like hey you want to be featured we're going to give you the shot and right now we have a great champion to really help put you over so um yeah that's always fantastic although i will say um i am not necessarily the fan of brit having a little stable growing now i kind of like it better when she, it was just her and rebel or reba or wherever the hell she goes by i know it's so tough because it's it's one not the other but I, I don't know which one. So yeah, it's like, not, not that I think she's a listener, but if she is, she's going to be really annoyed that her handle is Reba, not Rebel or Rebel, not Reba. And we mix it up every week, but shout out to you, whatever the proper name is. But I'm, I'm with you in the sense that, I mean, it's clever in that they were able to protect Ruby um, and kind of have the like, one person tries to interfere. Oh no, the referee's got her back turned. And then the second interference is what gets her. But I mean, if you want to do the, the distraction interference finish, you don't need two people. And I, I get what you're saying that it kind of, it feels unnecessary too, because it's not like Britt Baker is someone who needs like a mouthpiece. It's, it's not, you know, and granted he's gotten better, but you know, when you had like Roman and Paul Heyman at first, it's like, you know, you have those extra people there to kind of cover some shortcomings, but they're not really adding much. Like she's really the primary wrestler of the group. Like I haven't seen the other two, I guess maybe the, the new gal is a little bit more of supposedly like an enforcer. So you can do the classic, you know, mini boss, but 
Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. But it, it was it was great to see Ruby get uh, the shot to the top and her her promo immediately calling out that uh, Britt Baker and Adam Cole are a couple was just absolutely a phenomenal moment for anyone who knows about that to just kind of be like, oh, that's funny because they're actually in a good relationship. But anyone who doesn't, it's just like, oh, shots fired. So, yeah, great, great. Uh, and they continue to weave in the story really well where it was, you know, wasn't unknown you know you were fired so I, I do like that they keep bringing that up with the wwe people that for the most part it's like you know you're not brian danielson not renewing your contract it's like yeah you know good luck in your future endeavors that's a great transition into the other thing i've been stewing over which i'm actually not a big fan and that's uh i think that the example you just gave perfect example of how to utilize that you know cross that boundary of reality mixed with fantasy world of wrestling but what mjf has been doing as of late oh man yeah like i, I don't know man like i'm not gonna lie like it gets really uncomfortable really quick yeah i'm i'm with you the uh the brian pillman jr it was like that's getting that's getting pretty tough and the one that just happened and really was i kind of went back in I went one way and then I went hard correction the other was I I thought it was a pretty fucked up thing to say but the the Darby Allen like brooding school shooter it was like really fucked up but it at least kind of got this like okay it's a little bit of an angsty teen like step out from a juggalo but yeah then the the straight edge because like your drunk uncle died in a car accident that was one of those things where it's like I, I I can only give the guy credit in the sense that you know he's clearing it with these people ahead of time and I feel like, unfortunately, it's the burden of the pro wrestler when someone's, you know, I think the, the most obvious one we always talk about is the big shows, you know, father dying. So maybe shows in the back just like, oh, don't worry, Darby, I had to ride my dad's coffin through a cemetery one time. Try that. But yeah, I, I, I'm with you in that it's like the guy, I mean, he doesn't need to do this for heat. Like he, I mean, he's able to really create top shelf heat just doing the insulting the city thing which most people do it and it's like you kind of get some booze, but like with him, he's really doing it. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of also curious to see where they go with it. Cause it seems like they can't just be like, Hey, go out there and, you know, see what happens. I mean, they're, they're playing up the bully angle. So I'm wondering if we're going to get like Pillman Jr. Darby and then like Wardlow finally breaking kind of like a Arnold's buddy and the running man. So I'm wondering if that's going to be it, that he's going to have like the, the moment of humbling when all his, all his shit talking finally, you know, blows up on him and he ends up getting, you know, thrown in a river or a garbage can or something. I just feel like MJF must be the nicest dude backstage to be able to do this stuff because clearly, yeah, what the things he's touching on with these guys, like, and you're right, he, he has to have had it cleared with them. Otherwise, he would have been beaten <laughs> in real life at, by this point. But yeah, I mean, he just must be the nicest dude that they're willing to, to allow him to utilize these dark things in their lives against them. Uh, I think, you know, I'm curious to see, I, I kind of hope they throttle back because I think that he's kind of a heel similar to Britt Baker where he's starting to go over so well as a heel that people just love him. I mean, and I my example of that is the fact that with Pillman, 
I don't feel like the crowd was really behind him at all. Like, you know, that they support him and whatnot, but there certainly wasn't the pop that you were expecting, particularly because they were, he was wrestling his hometown and they still like seemingly were kind of quiet when he came out. So, uh, you know, maybe that again, it speaks to the, the type of fan who attends AEW shows who clearly are more educated just about wrestling as a whole and don't feel like he's earned his stripe, so to speak. But, um, yeah, it, it's, that was pretty dark and I'm glad that at least they moved on pretty quick from that rather than doing like, again, the McMahon, which would be to just keep leaning into it and digging deeper and deeper and deeper. So Wardlow coming out in drag as his like mother or something like, yeah, they, they would have gone too far. I do like your idea of him being like the nicest guy. And I like him just like sitting in the back at catering and Darby comes up and he's like, I got this great angle. And he's like, you know, when I was a kid, my uncle died and MJF just being like, no, come on, man. Like, I don't, I don't, that's so fucked up. And then he's like, you know, coaxing him into it, coaxing him into it. And then, yeah, he like turned to the corner and immediately just like the swagger just goes up to a hundred. Then he comes back after the promo and he's like, I'm so sorry, man. Did I overdo it? Like, I, I really feel like I crossed a line there. Just like the super, I think I'm just going to believe that from here on out that he is just like the most earnest, like legitimately salt of the earth guy and it's just like the ultimate shtick that that's how i'm choosing to believe it because that's the only way i imagine that you can talk about some of these things that he has and again not at his ass beat so um i have to also you know throw it out there the malachi and cody thing is very intriguing um just my i had an inkling that Brandy was going to come back. And I actually thought that she would somehow be more tied to it than um, has been the case. Um, but instead, no, they, they've continued it on in a nice way where it's building to something and you have to, to see what it is. What I'm kind of hoping personally is I think nobody hulks out better than Cody Rhodes these days. Like he's one of the only ones who can actually fully embody that ridiculous 1980s wrestling spirit where a guy just decides to power up and it's convincing for whatever reason when Cody does it. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the fact that he almost seemingly is always bleeding and covered in welts, but just literally like every match I've ever seen him in where it's like a serious, like, match it's seemingly like he has that moment where he just like snaps and just like ends it and it's awesome and so i'm really hoping we just get him just going like super saiyan you know dragon ball style on fucking malachi just to finally end this feud uh but we'll see what happens you know i I like that um i i have been kind of intrigued because we've been waiting for heel cody so there's a part of me that wonders and they always did it in a much more overt and less subtle way. Cause the like John Cena embraced the hate, but then his Cena always overcame. There's a part of me that wonders if maybe like Malachi has some success and we get like a, an evil Cody that finally snaps on Arn because I think we've made it far enough into the podcast that we can talk about Arn Anderson's just bizarre promo in which he brings up that if Cody is someone tries to carjack him that Cody gets out and says don't hurt me but Arn executes him on the spot with his Glock 
And it just doesn't make a ton of sense. Thoughts on the R and Anderson open ad- admission of murder. That was just spectacular for so many reasons. Like it, it's, it's nice watching such a quality wrestling product, knowing that there's still shitty enough moments that I'll remember forever and laugh about, <laughs> which is a secondary favorite part of watching wrestling. The fact that like that promo just took such a 180, like it was going from seemingly being like the like rip off of any old, you know, Rocky movie or any martial arts flick where the trainer's kind of really giving it to his guy to full on like Art Anderson using the phrase pulled out the Glock and talking about shooting somebody on site was just like, what the fuck? Absolutely amazing. Five stars. I can only, yeah, I can, I can only imagine that like Tony's backstage and Aaron and him are talking. It's like, yeah, you're going to give him the like, you're being a quitter and you're soft and like, I don't coach quitters. And Aaron's like, okay, no, I got it. I'm good. I'm good here. And then Tony just in the back with like the cup of coffee, just like, all right, Aaron's doing pretty, what the fuck did he just say? Because yeah, the, the internet is awash in the things. The other thing that I found very interesting and this is just maybe me going too deep in it is this carjacker armed because if he is how is Arn pulling a gun in time to not get shot and if he's not why are we assuming that cody one of the more fit individuals in the world by all accounts is not fighting this guy so very everything about this just screams like Arn being like no 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 don't worry i got this and then yeah just the other part where it's like you put the glock to his temple and i was like okay yeah you know you intimidate the guy but no no you spray his brains all over the parking lot so yeah i i'm very intrigued to see where it goes period and i'm also curious if this is one of the first times we may see the wwe retcon i'm just like we're gonna pretend that line never happened i thought it was so perfect too coming on the heels of him botching being on the ramp earlier and falling on his ass in the middle of the Malachi Cody match so it was like just the perfect like sad old man who just has to resort to the gun to to be the great equalizer because he can't throw a hook anymore yeah the, the gif of him trying to make it around the edge of that and just thinking about how much you see that in like any given tag team match where the guy is like trying to fire up the crowd and they're hopping back and forth like crazy. And then him like doing it in slow motion. And yeah, just being like when you see your grandpa from across the room and he's like starting to lose his balance and you know, there's, there's no getting to him in time. So you just kind of have to watch it, but it is legitimately happening in slow motion. So I like that as the overcorrection, like everyone's making fun of me. I'll show them what fun is. (laughs) It was so perfect. Uh, I loved every second of it. So here's one that's a little removed from what we have been discussing, which is mainly in-ring action. But like, what are you thinking of the announced crews specifically? Ones I want to focus on were, what do you think about CM Punk right now doing more and more of announcing? I'm not crazy about it. I, I, I feel like he's a little too much of a it reminds me of what was it? Then they had like Dennis Leary in the Monday Night Football booth, where it's like Punk so like he he wants to put the attention on himself, which is natural. He's a he's a guy who gives promos. He needs that he wants to draw the audience in. But the thing is that that's not what you're there for. 
like a, a great quip or something, but he's just consistently going. And I think I think that's why usually you just have a guy guest announced for a match because it's like when Don Callis does it, it's fucking hilarious because he's just there hyping up his own guy and talking shit about the other guy. But then, yeah, when you've had, you know, CM Punk, you had Ricky Starks. Really, the only one who I thought was actually pretty decent, like we said, was Jericho. Because he's kind of been more about just bringing up like the moves and he's naming them and he's got all the kind of over the top energy, but it's, it's more, you know, like Jerry, the King baller in that he's just really enthused and he might, you know, give kind of like the JR quip to like, Oh yeah, I've been hit by one of those before. Let me tell you, but that's it. It's not this kind of like, well, yeah. And I told you, I came back here to wrestle a guy like him because he's the best in the world and I want to be too. And it's like, yeah. So I'm, I've been a little out on that. I, I think that, you know, they're, their three man's been pretty solid in Jericho. You know, I really hope, you know, maybe they, they slot him into a role. Maybe JR kind of goes the Al Michaels route and he can take a couple, couple dates off at a time, but. I'm with you. Uh, actually it's ironic to me, the fact that punk, despite seemingly existing to now be everything anti WWE actually is bringing in some of the WWE elements with his presence to AEW that I feel like some people detest, one of which being kind of these folks who just occupy chunks of time because they need to occupy chunks of time. Because if you don't give them chunks of time, they get really pissy in the back room, you know, backstage. And I think that's punk to a T like the fact that he comes out now to his entrance, which to his credit, you know, the fans love, but that's the kind of shit that should be reserved for before the broadcast begins. You know, you don't need to show him walking down the ramp. You don't need to play the music. You know, he can just be in the booth. But again, you can't do that because the focus needs to be on him. The show needs to begin with him walking down the ramp and rallying everyone up. He needs to get into the booth and he needs to talk about all these potential matchups he may or may not have. And again, I, I really think that He's squandered any chance to be in a WWE Hall of Fame. I really believe he has kind of a Wade Boggs deal with AEW in that, like when Wade Boggs joined the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, where it was like, I'm going to join your Hall of Fame, (laughs) which, yeah, good luck with that. But but I think that is punk. Like he, he probably intends to wrestle maybe two years tops and then probably wants to transition into something like being full time booth and in the course of that one of the deals he'll probably want to be the inaugural members added to the eventual AEW hall of fame so yeah i i just don't like it i I think he commands too much attention he makes it too much focused on you know his potential future in the company and um you know i i didn't like starks either starks actually i was kind of disappointed because i thought that he really despite having such an amazing in-ring charisma was pretty terrible when given the opportunity to do some announcing there um thoughts yeah yeah i'm i'm with you i think i think it's just one of those things where they you can mistake because someone's good at one thing that seems similar that it's not always going to be a a clear transition um so i think that you're really right on both of them because like we said they're great promos but yeah i think the thing is starks is used to kind of firing off you know, five or six great ones from the hip and insulting a couple people. And then, you know, someone's supposed to do a run in, you know, he's, he's like a comedian that can do like a great, like three minute set. 
but you know you put him on stage for an hour and he's just sitting here like so the guy in that shirt sure looks dumb shit that didn't land so no i i'm with you and i i think that the punk kind of wanting his airtime thing is a really good thing to bring up because it's kind of like when we were talking about a lot of wwe stuff and how like you always had to have scotty too hotty do the worm and it's because like people are paying the money and you got to give them that and i think that's a little bit of I don't know if I'd go as far as to call it a mistake, but like not really understanding your crowd in the same, because I think that that was something that I was really impressed with when I was watching these shows, you know, especially these last three that we're going over is that there were so many great wrestlers that I didn't see. Like the bucks have come out a couple of times and I fucking love heel bucks. They, they entertained me to no end, but then that like they weren't, or they might've been in a tag. I'm not sure. It's all blending, but like just that we're not seeing everyone that, you know, Miro wasn't on the grand slam. He just came out for like a run in. He didn't wrestle. So I think, you know, it's kind of when I've made the comparison to that, you know, they're kind of doing the Game of Thrones thing. And I like it that I can go two or three episodes without seeing someone without a particular storyline popping off. It was kind of like when Darby came out to shut up MJF and it was kind of like, oh, that's right. You know, haven't seen Darby in a minute. He doesn't really seem to have a big storyline going on, but it gives every everything a novelty. And if it if it comes out multiple weeks in a row, it seems like it has a point. So yeah, for Punk to keep kind of having this no storyline thing, and that you know is the storyline is very odd. Whereas you know Brian Danielson's you know in the midst of the Kenny Omega chase, so it makes sense for him to be featured along it. But you know. He had Jungle Boy come out, and that was another one where it was like, oh, yeah, you know, this is interesting. So, yeah, using people in a variety of ways has been really refreshing, and it seems like with Punk, it is the regression, that we're going to start every episode with the the required Punk pop, and then we'll get to the the new and exciting stuff. Yeah, no, that's, that's perfectly well said, because that really is the concern, like, and particularly when this is being framed as a true like brand versus brand war despite you know at least in my opinion like it's AEW is amazing to watch but it's nowhere near in any real competition with wwe just it's two different products you know it's like the equivalent of like some indie comic book franchise that like gets like a little web series competing with the marvel universe you know it's just it's not there so, yeah. And in that sense, like I really again, that, that was my big tinfoil hat conspiracy was that WWE shed some of that talent, the, the overpaid talent, seemingly by their views, hoping that AEW would scoop them up because now once you sign them, you got to use them. And you kind of are seeing it where it's like, look at the record of all the cast off WWE guys, with the exception of, uh, you know, f- personal fan favorite, big money Matt Hardy, <laughs> who, you know, is actually seemingly willing to do just about anything for the company, but like Christian Cage is what one loss. Brian Danielson debuted B, against yeah, beat Kenny Omega for the TNA belt. Yeah. Brian Danielson, yeah. top of the card. Yeah, top of the card against Kenny Omega. You have, you know, CM Punk 2 and 0. You know, they snuck Powerhouse Hobbs. I don't know if you saw, but in the power rankings, he was, I think, number three because they were feeding him some uh, squash wins along the way. So, I mean, all of a sudden, CM Punk's in that upper echelon. And again, in the course of doing this, you're burying 
you know, they're saying he's off time with the kid, but Adam Page, you know, Brian Cage, it's these guys who've been putting in the work since day one. Uh, then you add to the fact, too, you have like Moxley, who's one of the original ones, but Moxley's on like every night, man. Like, and again, that, that was kind of my first thought when going back to that hardcore match, like he had, it's like, it's always entertaining. I love watching Moxley wrestle. Don't get me wrong, but he literally is on every show. And no, I, yeah, I no, I think that's a great point. Especially look at the look at the champions. You had the inaugural AEW champ Chris Jericho drops the belt to Moxley, then Omega gets it. TNT's initially won by Cody Rhodes, drops that to Brody Lee. Uh, now it's being held by Miro. So Darby had it, but so Darby and Kenny, two guys who had it. So the tag belts are really the only things that have kind of stayed out of WWE retread hands. And yeah, in the, in the meantime, you know, my guy Jungle Boy, he's not getting the love. You know, we're both kind of intrigued by the murder hawk, but he's just kind of floating around in this weird mid-card. So no, I think uh I think that's a pretty a pretty good thing to to point out. And yeah, you know, don't get me wrong, I think Ruby, when she signed, became probably the most talented wrestler on the female roster but it does yeah it does beg the question so no i think i think that's a really good point um and yeah i guess it, it will be interesting to see how they manage to balance having uh adam cole cm punk and brian danielson all towards the top of the card yeah i mean there's don't get me wrong it's the joy is seeing how they pivot and they how they make these things work and there's a lot of different ways they can do it so um We'll just have to wait and see, but I do, I do think it's funny. And I didn't even mention Mira who, but you know, I literally compared him to Goldberg earlier in this recording. So, um, you know, these cast off WWE guys have done very, very well in terms of their bookings and that can work for a while while you're building the brand, but there, are, that is going to build some resentment if you're not careful. And then I really, you know, that's what killed WCW. So we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, nah. the other one I wanted to bring up that, um, I, I just wanted to mention, cause I think it's kind of neat is, uh, I really enjoy Mark Henry's little segments that he's been doing on rampage, the little split screen action. Does that have a name? I, I, is that... I, I don't think so yet, but I, I do think it's, a, it's, it's honestly kind of, I think a great use of someone that you kind of wanted to pay for that level of reputation and it doesn't feel out of place. It's kind of like, you know, the former athlete who is like the sideline correspondent or something where it's like, you know, you know, you're not going to get a ton out of him. But when you put him in there, he's he's got the energy. He's got, you know, the the size. He's got the name and face recognition. And I also think you get the classic. If you ever want to do any of those in real life, he's one of the only people that I don't care what two motherfuckers you put on either side of him. Mark Henry can split those people up without a lot of issue. Like, don't don't tell me Brian Danielson and Adam Cole are going to be able to fight through him. So, no, I think I think that has been a fun one, and it has been good use. It wasn't kind of like where you know I know that uh, uh, Paul White, no more BS. I won't call him the Big Show. You know, he he's kind of been I think on a dark doing some commentary, but then they were like, oh, we got to get him some time, and they did that horrible. QT Marshall feud. So yeah, I'm, I'm cool with, uh, with Mark Henry just kind of get to chill in the back and do his thing. 
Yeah, I, I think you pretty much covered it. I, I really like the idea of eventually, you know, they'll do a live one where he can hold people apart. And, and I just like, too, that they're allowing his presence to be what he created, um, which is he's he's playing it like a true like backstage interviewer, like he's being kind of like a more of a reporter than putting on the image of the world's strongest man, Mark Henry, which is all we got forever in wwe even when he was being kind of a joke character like he was always kind of played up to have this like very gruff kind of demeanor and so it's really refreshing just seeing him being like super chipper and like trying to keep it moving and upbeat and you know and he does a fantastic job so um just wanted to mention that because you know i he probably gets overlooked a lot but i think he's doing a damn fine job in what he's doing no, I'm I'm all for some some support for a, a properly utilized uh, former WWE wrestling. All right, any other thoughts you have at the moment on AEW wrestling? I think we're up to speed, and really, it's it's just the continued excitement. It's it's just feeling so good about it. It's you know wondering how they're going to keep booking some of these matches and these feuds. I loved uh, Big Money Matt Hardy booking the hair versus hair match for one of his cronies i thought that was an all-time great uh moment and you know orange cassidy continues to be cool and yeah no i'm just excited i'm, I'm already kind of eyeing the next pay-per-view because i think after this last one i had so much like oh i knew i should have got it that they might actually have me and if it continues at this pace yeah, I, I still have my fingers crossed that they eventually make it to the West Coast because I'm dying to see what this is like in person. Oh, yeah, that'll be a must-go. Absolutely. All right, so I think we're all caught up on AEW then. This has been Hollywood Brunettes Wrestling Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>